Organissima New York, your exotic skin, hair, and beauty source, and your one-stop shop for all your natural and organic skin and hair care, featuring authentic organic Moroccan oil and prickly pear seed oil and much more, bringing you only the best straight from the source and proudly produced in the USA. So what are you waiting for? Shop today at www.organissima.com. Organissima New York. Your beauty is our duty. Organissima New York. Your exotic skin. Hey, 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 you know me. It's Cheryl Bryant Bruce, MD, and you're here with us listening to Chatters That Matters. Let's talk about it. We're here to educate inform and entertain you. I'm back again with my co-host, Hisham Elamati, Hurricane H. Hello. We have another great show for you and an exciting guest uh, with an extremely important topic. So without further ado, I would like to introduce to you Michael Wharton, who is from Las Vegas, Nevada. He's one of Las Vegas' finest firefighters, works with my brother, uh, Kurt Beasy. And we're excited to have Michael here because the topic that he is talking about is just, it, it really is one that is close to our heart, close to our mission. We are talking about mental health in a, a population that is such, such an important part of our everyday existence. Uh, without them, we would be in a heap load of trouble and yet we don't always protect them and they are in a situation that puts them at strain. So Michael is going to talk to us about it and he's gonna to talk to us about how we can support them and the special issues that they're dealing with. So whenever you see a firefighter or an emergency response person, give them some love. Michael Wharton, welcome to our show. Thank you very much, Dr. Cheryl and Hurricane. Thank you for having me on your show. Uh, to discuss such a very important topic. Um, and it, it goes um, not only with first responders, and, and when I speak in the next hour or so, um, it's all inclusive to just not fire, EMS, police, but also a group of uh, people that get left out, a couple groups of people that get left out all the time is emergency room physicians, emergency room nurses, um, 
dispatchers, our 911 dispatchers that um, don't get the uh, recognition and attention that they so desperately need at times. Um, and also coroner personnel, because we deal in emergency services and, you know, some of the things that we see, um, we can't unsee. And it's, right. it's a very, it's a very important topic that really needs to come to the forefront. And I really appreciate this venue and this platform to help get this uh, message out about crushing the stigma about first responders asking for help or emergency service personnel asking for help because the rates of um, people who are completing suicide are just, um, we can do a lot better with ourselves. Absolutely. So Michael, can you just give us a little bit of your background to let our audience know what qualifies you to, to come on and talk about this very important topic? Um, I've been in EMS for um, approximately 30 years. I just aged myself. And um, <laughs> I, I started off in a private ambulance sector for Mercy Ambulance in Las Vegas, Nevada. And then I was hired up at the Nevada test site um, at the uh, fire department up here. I also have experience in, in being a flight medic um, with uh, Valley Hospital Flight for Life and um, subsequently Mercy Air here in uh, Southern Nevada. And um, gone through a couple situations with them and we'll talk about it in the interview. Um, but my initial passion why I got into this field was to help people and that's to go on scenes and do the things that we do now i've shifted um, direction a little bit i'm still helping people but i want to help my brothers and sisters to not have to go down the same road that i went down um, and that there is help available because the culture dynamic of how things used to be in in first responders 30 years ago needs to change and is changing now to, so we can get the help that um, that we need when we need it. Excellent, excellent. So tell us about your journey that brought you to this point of doing this. How did you get Absolutely. here? Absolutely, I appreciate it. I appreciate the question. Um, so, you know, the shows that were influential back in my day that got me into to the field that I wanted to was shows like Emergency, Johnny and Roy, right? And also um, Rescue 911 with William Shatner. And so that's kind of what directed me in the in, in the direction of, of EMS in, in, in this field. And so I took my first EMT class in 1989. And um, I was so enthralled with the medicine part of it that I continued on and subsequently got hired. During my first year at Mercy Ambulance, you know, making a difference in people's lives is the reason we do what we do. And um, it's pretty empowering, even at a smaller scale, the first time I pushed D50 and woke somebody up, you know, when they had a blood sugar of nothing was pretty empowering. The first time I pushed Narcan to an opiate overdose, that was pretty empowering. But over the course of, I would say my first year, I would hear, um, you know, colleagues, friends and associates in different departments um, that was completing suicide. And I really didn't understand it. I, I didn't. And, um, you know, it was it was commonplace after our shift, we would go just have a couple beers and and, you know, just kind of blow off some steam that way. 
And then in 1998, I was fortunate enough to um, get hired with Valley Hospital Flight for Life. And of course, I was seven years into my career, seen a lot of stuff um, and didn't really understand why, how people got to a place of desperation and a place of not feeling like they had any hope. So um, then on April 3rd, 1999, um, uh, one of our aircraft was uh, flying back to their home base in Pahrump. And um, they had to fly the uh, northern way because the western way was uh, bogged down by clouds. Well, what eventually happened, the, the pilot flew into a cloud bank thinking he would come out on the other side, but he quickly developed spatial disorientation. And um, subsequently, uh, they had an aircraft accident. And that night, I didn't only lose three coworkers, but I lost three friends. So um, we put on this mask as first responders that nothing can bother us and that we're impervious to, you know, no normal human emotion. So we just bury it and stuff it and stuff it and stuff it and stuff it. Well, the problem with that is, is that our bag is only so full. We can only handle so much. So I uh, subsequently went to Mercier and then on uh, um, September 7th, uh, 2002, it happened all over again. So um, they had a catastrophic rotor failure. And that night, once again, I lost three friends and three coworkers. And by this time, I was probably 11 years into my career and I had lost the resiliency to appropriately handle my thoughts, feelings, and emotions. So the one or two beers that started off in my career, I was drinking to excess to um, probably four to five nights a week. And then when alcohol wasn't enough, I was I was using other things. And um, and this insanity went on for about four years. And during that four years, um, I, too, just hope I would either uh, drink too much or overdose um, just to end the pain in my head because um, I just didn't know how to deal with it. I didn't know how to ask for help. And that's part of the stigma that, you know, keeps a lot of people suffering in silence and it keeps a lot of people from getting the help that they need. Well, luckily, through a series of events um, on January 9th, 2006, I was able to get clean and have remained clean ever since. And the thing is, is that's a huge, important part of it. But even more important is being able to ask for help and talk to somebody. Because it's come to my realization that true healing doesn't begin until you get vulnerable with somebody. And mm -hmm. you don't have to dance with everybody, but you got to dance with somebody. Mm -hmm. And that's, and it's only probably over the past two and a half years now, my passion has really been to, um, you know, reach out to first responders and reach out to people that are suffering. Um, because I can only speak to this venue, I don't know what it's like. Uh, for And you and I have talked about this, Dr. Cheryl, about celebrities, uh, sports figures who um, the mental health aspect is finally coming to, the, you know, coming to the forefront in their in their arena. Um, but my passion for the last two and a half years is to reach out to first responders and, and let them know. And I know this sounds like a cliche and let them know that it's OK not to be OK. But as a friend of mine, um, Dr. Bianca McCall, um, says that 
not only is it not okay to not be okay, but it's okay to be okay with not with what makes you not okay. In other words, it's okay to feel what you're going through. I, I know I kind of said like triple negatives and <laughs> process that one. <laughs> like, it's okay to be okay with what not makes you okay. So um, the thing is, a lot of times we don't know how to ask for help because we're the ones that's giving the help. So, you know, judgment comes into that as well. You know, we don't want to be judged that um, because a, a, a big part of um, a big part of the stigma that keeps us from asking for help. You know, it, it's there, it's kind of multifaceted. One is the biggest thing is we don't want to be perceived as being weak. Right. right. And um, we're afraid of judgment from others. Right. And another one is we want to be accepted amongst our peers. And um, then management, uh, the company that you're working for, has a lot to do with it, too, is that, well, there's this promotion that's coming up in months. And if I go get help, they may think that I'm not fit for the job. So they'll overlook me on the promotion side of it. So it, it's really these things have to be addressed and um, they are being addressed. And this is, um, you know, the main reason that we want to get the message out there on this platform and other platforms that um, your mental health is paramount in everything that you do, just not in your professional life, but your personal life as well. And a lot of times, you know, you hear the you hear the saying that, you know, we'll leave your work stuff at home and, and or leave your work stuff at work and, and keep your home stuff at home. Well, that's a great saying, but it's almost impossible to do. Mm -hmm. It's almost virtually impossible. It's really hard to compartmentalize like that. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and I, I'm glad you brought up that word, too, because what makes us so very great at our jobs, we have to learn to compartmentalize, you know, the emotion, the um, the the feelings that we have when we come on scene. Mm -hmm. But the problem is, is we never after the calls over we never go back, take it out and deal with it. Because if you don't deal with your thoughts, feelings and emotions, they're going to eventually deal with you. Mm -hmm. And we can only compartmentalize so much before, you know, we, we, we start suffering in silence. And that's where the true danger begins. Right. Absolutely. And, you know, I think that it's important. We're talking about emergency responders here. You mentioned the celebrities and all, but again, this does extend to everybody. Right now, I'm working for a workers' comp company um, or a company that does workers' comp, occupational medicine, and urgent care. And people from all walks of life, all kinds of different jobs come in, and it's kind of a recurring theme, especially when it comes to emotional or mental things they're all worried about their job, about the perception mm -hmm. on their job that they won't be competent, about losing their job, about their status on their on their job. Mm -hmm. So it is one of those things we're kind of across the board, especially when it comes to job, we do hide those I think the gentleman's I'm, I'm blinking on his name, I think it's slash. Um, he has just been all over the news, um, Ellen's, um, uh, Ellen's music guy and the dancer, Snitch, uh, Stitch, Stitch, yep. Snitch, Slip, <laughs> Stitch. <laughs> yeah. That's what you put in the laceration, Stitch. Stitch. Right, 
right, right. So, um, you know, again, his coworkers had no idea that this was going to happen. Mm -hmm. His family never saw it coming. So again, it's, you know, it shows that it goes all across the board and, you know, it impacts from our job, but also from our families. We compartmentalize these things because we need to look strong and, and yes. secure and all of the things that allow our families to be able to, to depend on us and feel secure with us. Absolutely. And, you know, you bring up a good point is if you look at it in the past with with celebrities and, and sports figures and even us um, uh, as first responders, some of the most um, depressed people or people that are dealing with um, a lot of uh, depression or mental issues um, are seem to be the most happiest. You know, yeah. and, and a person exactly. that comes to mind is 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 Robin Williams, you know, um, and we had. Yeah. And we had a um, firefighter here in southern Nevada who just uh, recently completed suicide. And um, if you were to ask all his friends, he would have done anything for anybody. He was the happiest guy. He was he was a great guy to work with and work for. Mm -hmm. Um and, you know, you just you just never know. And, and one of my favorite sayings that I use in my lectures is and I hope I get this. I hope I get this right. It's by Robin Williams is mm -hmm. you never know the battle that somebody else is fighting. So be kind always. Yes. Uh, yeah. So exactly you never right. know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you, you, you just you just never know. Um, so that's why, um, you know, people like myself, when I was going through my issues, you know, you have to acknowledge that, you know, this isn't right or you're not feeling right. But I think where the where the problem comes for us and for so many is that we don't know how to ask for help, you know, because society has put such a big stigma on the mental health aspect of, of, of asking for help. And thank goodness for not only, you know, the first responder culture, but the celebrity culture, you know, like people like, Simone Biles and, 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 and Darren Waller um, who are coming out and so many other um, uh, professional athletes that are finally coming out and speaking about mental health. Um, they can speak to their venue. And the only thing that I know, and, and that's great for their demographic of people that, that they deal with, just like it's important for the demographic of people that I deal with because um, everybody has a story and what I have found in, you know, in, in my 30 years of doing this is that I don't have to know you personally. Um, I can go to a fire station in Baltimore. I can go to a fire station in Texas, not even know the person, knock on the door and say, hey, I'm having an issue. I'm having a problem. Um, is there somebody here I can talk to? And that peer support, the reason that that works is the identifiability. I don't have to know you personally, but you know what I'm going through because you do the same job that I do. I don't understand the pressures of celebrity or I don't understand the pressures of performance um, for professional athletes, but I do understand the pressures of what the first responder realm deals with us. And you and I were talking the other night, Dr. Cheryl, that um, it doesn't matter the vessel in which you get to your destination. We all arrive at the same destination, but we just drive our car or, or our truck a little bit differently. Right. Right. Absolutely. 
So, 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 I'm sorry, Mike, doctor, if you might. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, I, I wanted just to say this. I mean, you started the discussion with the idea of the folks that may not have been highlighted when it comes to the work they do, and including mm -hmm. the uh, the folks that are in the emergency room, uh, all first responders, and and really, we do not think. I mean, it's almost like I, I guarantee you, people watching mm -hmm. right now, listening, they probably have not even thought about that aspect of it. Because we always, when you go to those places, you think that they're, you're looking at them that they're going to solve the problem, but you never think about how they're feeling at that time or what they do and how they feel when they go home. And, you know, there's the facade. I mean, it's like I was just thinking about as you're speaking the concept of your a father, your mother, your parent, right? Mm -hmm. And you do not want to show fear or that you are getting, going through trouble. You cover all that. You keep it all in, but you kind of just camouflage all that for the rest. So nobody knows what's going on until right. something happens and it could be too late. And so first, I wanted just to thank you for actually even uh, really recognizing all the different people that are actually are affected by this, but also to opening up our eyes and I think to our listeners and viewers that we don't realize how much trauma and stuff that you deal with. I mean, Dr. Cheryl, now we were having the discussion last night and when you think about it, the stuff that you see, if we see one tragedy, one event, one incident, accident, whatever, we go crazy. Uh, and, and it right. stays with our minds. I mean, I've seen people just fall and, and, and heard themselves breaking bones and it looks, you guys see burns, you see some extreme trauma. I mean, just like the doctors and so on and so forth. And, and those that, that work in the emergency room or in the field, uh, you guys are first responders. You're in. Well, no matter what, you're always facing the most you know, horrific stuff, plus the dangers. And that's the other thing, like you go in, your life can be at risk at every given yeah. second, whether it's the fire, whether it's uh, sometimes shootings, it could be uh, many things. You guys are always in the line of fire one way or the other. And and we don't see that as much as, as just the, the regular public. You know, we just expect the service. We expect that, that you're going to be there when it happens. Uh, the, the group that you mentioned that probably the least of, of people would think about was the dispatchers. You know, but yeah. there were a few movies that actually I think one was uh, Halle Berry, you know, was was a great one. I think the call or something. Uh, and there were many more where someone is calling in and these folks are really live with these people as they go through their whatever they go in the, 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 the surroundings that they have or the circumstances they're dealing with, whether it's uh, trafficking, whether it's, uh, you know, murder, you know, uh, activity, shot, whatever. And, and things are happening and these people are listening. I can just possibly now that I'm thinking about it and hearing you. My mind's like, wow, what would that, if you, if it were me right now, how would I react when I go home? Or like on the day, maybe you numb yourself to it. I don't know what, is there a formula to it? Obviously there's none because it's just going to compound and there's going to be a point of no return or a point where that's going to boil out and that's just going to be like, oops, that's it. it. And then the outcomes are the worst ones, as you said, you know, suicide, you know, maybe you go into like drugs and, and other means to just compensate. Uh, so thank you for doing. I just wanted to add that comment there because, uh, like, again, as a normal, you know, non-EMS, you know, person or non-front, you know, uh, responder, first responder, I I did not see that relationship. Like you, you would think about it, but you don't really. And 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 I can probably I'm speaking for the public here that's watching on the audiences, but you know, if you're listening and watching, just just reflect on that for a minute. And you'll see exactly what this is. It's more than we think. I mean, we hear about it in law enforcement. We hear about it in, in PTSD, for example, military personnel. But we don't really look at it from, from the folks that actually hand on every day in the streets that are protecting us. I mean, imagine no fire department. Imagine no EMS coming in to rescue people 
when they need the best. I and mean, that's the moment where yeah. live and that is really just seconds away. You guys come in and do all this stuff. You mentioned something about when you had to to administer, you know, some stuff for an overdose. Uh, that's that's powerful stuff that people don't realize that you're looking at someone that's actually dying or potentially yeah. going to go and you're saving their lives. Those are things. I mean, you've seen all the worst of, of, of how this world can be. It is not easy. And again, I just wanted to highlight. I'll, I'll stop for that for now. <laughs> I'm going to throw in another first responder that is probably far from people's vision of first responders, but I'm sure Mike can tell you just how important these people are. There is a fire chaplain that yes. goes out to the scene and initially deals with a lot of the emotional stuff that's going on. And just imagine the load that a fire chaplain carries or that any kind of chaplain actually, because they're, they're bound to, to silence, to confidentiality. And they're given all of our load and then they take it home and they can't talk about it. Um, but particularly when you have these gruesome emergency scenes and they come on the scenes and they're there, they're having to, they're, they're having to see the scene and react to that themselves and keep the mask of composure. They're mm -hmm. having to minister to the other first responders that are there, the family, the crowd, imagine that load. Yep. And both of you bring up excellent points. And now the ice has been broken. And because I there's you, you brought up so many, you evoked so many things that I hope I can get across. And I appreciate I appreciate the acknowledgement, Hurricane, um, for what you said. And um, Dr. Cheryl, the vicarious trauma that people like chaplains deal with, mm -hmm. um, people like uh, Chris, people deal because after de after a really horrible debriefing they need to go and get debriefed themselves so vicarious trauma is a very real deal and um they can't be uh left out of the picture as well um hurricane to your point about um you know i think a lot of the times where us as first responders kind of get into deep waters is we downplay our emotions we don't we're really good at caring for others, but sometimes our self-care is lacking and we downplay our emotions. But at the end of the day, when you take your uniform off, regardless of whatever chameleon type of face you put on during the day, you should have and remember, you should have a T-shirt that says I'm human, too. Right. You know, and, be, and I say that because we're we're normal everyday people that do an extraordinary job you know and we have to give ourselves the grace to be able to you know say it's okay to feel this way it's okay to feel hurt and it's okay to feel what i'm feeling because um at the end of the day nobody is impervious to to the to the feelings that they express because your feelings are your feelings and you own them you know, and you should give yourself enough dignity and grace to to say it's okay to um, go what I'm going through. And to to your other point, Hurricane, about what you said about the dispatchers, about you know they have a whole nother realm of of stress that they feel because can you imagine you have a, a, a screaming um, uh, 
person on the other end of the phone and you're trying to give pre-arrivals um, to them and you can't see what's going on, the helpless feeling that they must feel sometimes of not being able to um, feel that they're adequately, you know, helping this person. Case in point, um, when I was working at the coroner's office, because every firefighter and paramedic have to ha has to have a part-time job, right? So I was uh, training as a, a death investigator and I had to give a death notification to somebody that was um, out of state. And when I gave the death notification, um, hearing the screams in the background um, from the family members um, will stay with me always. So imagine that was just one call that I did. Imagine these 911 dispatchers who take hundreds, if not thousands of calls a year you know, and how it stays with them. So I'm really glad that you brought that point up as well. Yeah. Listen, I mean, uh, we, we, we can talk about it, but literally when you think about it in depth, I mean, it's just unbelievable. I mean, the level of, you know, stuff that you have to carry on and you still have to live and day in, day out. I mean, there is no way you can hold on to it forever. There's no way for you to actually literally just minimize it. Uh, again, I mean, true story to me one time, and I, I kind of briefly mentioned it, but I only witnessed one one serious uh, injury in front of me. I still can see that visual in front of my eyes today. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it was a simple thing. Now, you said you see these things, you know, day in, day out, plus the risk and everything. And and, it, and the worst part is you can't do anything about it. As a dispatcher, there's nothing you can do about it. At least you guys are hands on. You can maybe make a difference. I mean, they're making a difference in a different way because they're getting you there. Right. But but at the time, there's nothing else. They're just there. Whatever's going on is mercy. Right. Uh, until right. you guys get in there. Yeah, there's so there's nothing. I mean, it, you can frustrate yourself. You can get excited and you have to also keep composed and nice. And you got to give all the, the good, positive stuff to whoever it is on the other line. Help is coming. Hang on. You know what you see and stuff. And they have to give all these coordinated you know, things. I, I, I don't know if, I mean, that's, that's an amazing job, you know, and I, and I think like we don't even uh, thank folks uh, that do these things enough. So thank you for actually doing that work. And hopefully people now finally, you know, as you guys do the work, then you going out and talking about these things and even like a show like this, people can realize like how much is being done with a lot of people that we don't sometimes even because they are behind the scenes, they're backstage. Nobody sees them on the day to day. Right. You don't think about it. Right. They see us, they, they see, you know, all first responders, emergency service personnel, um, excuse me, doctors, nurses, they only see them for a brief period. And they don't think how those caregivers, how it affects, because they're just with them for a short period of time. And so they don't understand sometimes the mental toll that it takes all of us, you know, mm -hmm. um, and like I said, in this venue um, that I can speak at, and there's, I'm, I'm sure that, um, you know, the pressure of performing for, for professional athletes, you know, um, what they must deal with on a day in and day out basis. Um, Dr. Cheryl, I'm sure can speak to that more eloquently than I can. Um, and then, uh, you know, um, the, the, the whole realm that they deal with, but Kate, one of the things that you brought up is how it affects just um, um, from a layman standpoint. 
um, and I was talking to Dr. Cheryl the other night about this is um, Monday night football. Look how many people witnessed Mr. Hamlin's um, injury and, and, and accident and look at how it affected his teammates, right? And um, first and foremost, I'm glad he's on a road to recovery. I'm glad that he's, 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 he'll be back, um, hopefully. Um, but look at the mental toll it took on just not only his teammates, but his, but everybody in that stadium, everybody watching on TV, it kind of left him with an awe. Um, and what we deal with sometimes, not that we're, it's just the course of our job and the scope of our job. We may have three or four of those calls in a shift. So now you compound that into weeks, months, years, and you can see how first responders um, have a huge buildup of all the stress that they've been keeping inside. And because of the stigma that we're dealing with, they don't want to reach out and ask for help. And they suffer in silence and then they try coping mechanisms, um, whatever it is, being gambling, um, drugs and alcohol, uh, risky behavior, all these things. Well, we know that unhealthy coping mechanisms don't last for long, right? So now, like in my case, um, not only did I feel the shame and guilt from an addiction now, but I had the shame and guilt that I couldn't talk to anybody about my problems. So now it manifested itself and it had a synergistic effect to make it even bigger, right? Whereas if I got vulnerable in the first place and went down that road to a healthy way of coping as opposed to an unhealthy way of coping, I wouldn't have had the shame and a gift of it possibly. Um, and that's the message that we're trying to get out today. And that's why we're trying to help our brothers and sisters in the first responder realm that you don't have to go down that road because it's okay to talk about what's going on. So you don't have to make the same mistakes that um, myself and so many others have made. I think that uh, one thing to point out is that as we're in the situations and we're looking around at others, it feels like everybody else is coping with it well. And we question ourselves as to, well, why are mm. we not coping with it? But they're wearing the same mask that we try to wear and we have different ways of, of coping. I know when I was working in the emergency room and we would have codes and such, you know, as the, uh, the first responders are going through the codes, one of the ways that we frequently will cope with it is through the use of humor. And every first responder understands that to people on the outside, family, lay people, you know, they may see it as callous, but we're just trying to, to stay in the moment and get through what is oftentimes a very, very difficult and painful scenario. So humor will be thrown in. And I, I can remember on one occasion going through a, a particularly difficult code and it was a young person and it's always extremely traumatic when you're you're dealing with children because it's just it's so opposite the way things should go children shouldn't die and going through this code and 
it wasn't going well and you know trying to keep my own emotions out of it and you know we were we were using humor and and everything else uh that we could throw in to maintain but i remember at the end of that code everybody did a good job and we actually did end up saving that child everybody did a phenomenal job and even though we saved the child even though the outcome was a good one the strain and stress and pressure of it when i went to my call room i just absolutely broke down and sobbed hysterically mm -hmm. so you know no matter what the perception was of everybody else oh dr bryant bruce handled that situation they didn't see the tears that came afterwards so you have to remember right. while you're looking at all of your colleagues looking like they've got it totally under control they are still feeling the situation just as acutely as you are and they may have different ways of coping or not coping with it but you have to assume that it is affecting them and it helps if you acknowledge that say hey you know are you okay right and i think you bring up a really good point and um we have one thing that I learned in recovery is um, kind of that same premise that you just expressed. Um, and the one saying that comes to mind when you when you came up with your example is don't judge your insides by somebody else's outsides. Exactly. Right. Because once again, you never know what's going on with them. They may be feeling the exact same way um, as you do. And um, we're afraid to express our feelings and emotions um, because of the fear of being judged, right? Mm -hmm. And after doing this long enough, you start caring less what other people think and start worrying more about what you think and how you can um, implement self-care to you. And for those people that um, are either starting out in, in, in this career or in this occupation, is that you're gonna have so many critics along the way with the main critic being yourself, you're going to be hardest on yourself. And there's a couple things I have to say to that. One is um, be kind and patient with yourself because you're going to have so many other people out there that's going to criticize you. Right. And the right. other thing that I have to say too is those who judge don't matter and those who matter don't judge. Um, and it's, it's, it's one of those things that we're so sometimes afraid of, of other people's approval on the jobs that we do and in, in, in the social um, uh, optics of it all is that, you know what, what really matters is, is how we feel about ourselves because we're going to do our job no matter what. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that is a, a very good point that you bring and that, that self-care and that self-love. Let's talk mm -hmm. about some of the ways that people can cope with the, the stress and some of the ways that people can reach out to get the help that they, they need in dealing with it. I think, um, and this is the last part of, of, of one of my or my lectures that I do for uh, an ambulance company here in Southern Nevada. Um, and self-care is a huge part of what we do. You know, the first and foremost thing is what I've already mentioned is be kind and patient with yourself. 
you know, mm -hmm. and um, I have a I have a slide up there is that there's many people out there just like you that are fighting the exact same battle because sometimes what we tend to think is that we're the only ones that are going through this and we're not. And part of mm -hmm. self-care is understanding that you're not alone. Nobody's ever alone and there's always somebody out there to listen. And I think self-care, no matter what you do, whether you take 15 minutes throughout the day just to meditate or just to be with your thoughts and, and, and be alone, taking breaks throughout the day, um, you know, and, and they give other suggestions too, but in our, in our field, in our line of work, it's kind of almost virtually impossible, like keep a regular schedule. I don't know mm -hmm. one first responder that keeps a regular schedule, you know, and that's including uh, emergency room physicians um, and other emergency service uh, workers too. Um, but have patience with yourself. You know, I think that's the biggest thing too. And don't put unrealistic expectations on yourself. And know that, you know, through the course of our jobs, you know, we're going to learn, you know, we're going to learn what works for us and what doesn't work. And there's, I think, as far as being able to talk about, um, being able to talk about our feelings and, and, and our emotions, I think peer support groups in our, in our field and in our culture is vitally important because you're finding out. Once you once you that you're not the only one going through this, that takes the whole stigma and the whole pressure of of not being accepted off to your shoulders. And it's yeah. been my experience that that's you know, 70 to 80 percent of it is right there. You know, talk to a peer. And the great thing about peer support is we're in the job and we're in the business to fix, right. So um, when people come up to you, you automatically get nervous or when they come up to me, it's like. When they come up, hey, Mike, um, can I talk to you for a minute? Automatically, my my fixing brain goes on. It's like, uh-oh, what problem are they dealing with? How am I going to fix it? But the beauty about peer support is the only thing you have to do is listen and show empathy and sympathy. Right. Right. And, and not judge. And not judge because right. people respond to situations differently. Uh, their emotional answers may be different than our own. We're all wired a bit differently. So we want to not judge while at the same time looking for the indications even that that person may not be opening up. They may still be masked and trying to do what we can to allow them to let down the wall, let down the defenses so they can be open and share and, and feel like we're not going to judge them if they do. Right. And I think another, another very important thing about self-care too is because we're so dedicated to our profession, you need to set boundaries for yourself as far as having balance. And yes. um, I say that you know, it's one thing to be um, profession. Um, try not to make your profession your identity. You know, have a have a sense of balance. 
Yes. You know, and, and balance out your work, balance out your work life, balance out your uh, home life, your social life, uh, church life. If you go to church um, and uh, vacations and, and everything else. And that's given back to you because so many times, how much overtime do we work? A lot. How much time do we are we always there for others? A lot. Well, we need to set boundaries. What I'm finding out for me personally is that, you know, I matter just as much as the patients that I serve. And once we understand that with ourselves, we'll start giving ourselves the love, the balance that we need. And, you know, um, because if you start tipping the boat, eventually that side of the boat is going to, you know, cause things to capsize. And that's what we're trying to prevent. Right. So, so Mike, one thing that that I'm just curious about, uh, and I think, Doctor, you'll probably agree with me on this one. you work for, let's say, currently in the fire department, and you know mm-hmm. there's plenty of those, you know, around the nation and worldwide. And of mm-hmm. course, there's people that work in the hospitals, the dispatchers, and so on and so forth. But what kind of measures, or I guess, dispositions are available to assist people, at least to 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 be anticipating some of the the, the dealings with 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 the uh, first responders in terms of mental health? I mean, are there services that are available readily for you or it's only when you have a problem? Are there like, you know, something that is, that, that's available to you, for example, to just to get you on, on an ongoing basis to, to help you and get you to all those things? I mean, is there such a thing? I mean, I'm not sure, and that's why I'm asking. It just, yeah, I'd be curious to know because technically it's, you know, this is gonna be a difficult job. So you need to have dispositions and stuff ready to help your your staff to help your yeah. you know uh, city uh, folks that are going to go out there and save lives, and and uh, I mean I can give you an example. I know, for example, in the pandemic, uh, the EMS, the nurses, all the first responders were there, right? But mm-hmm. but there was not necessarily a lot of care about them. And let's just be clear about it: uh, they put in a lot of hours. They they were there day and out where there was risky. But the outcome after the pandemic was not really what we expected, you know, at the same level that they were all like heroes. But then all of a sudden, you know, that that hero business has gone away, you know, and I, I'm, I'm not being funny about it. I'm just literally being as honest right. about it because we would have hoped that the same way they were treated, you know, and, and everybody, we were all gone home for them during the pandemic. That's not the same feeling that happens after when everything kind of dissipated. And so so and again, the trauma didn't go anywhere. And it's still there and the cases are still there. But are there any departments, you know, solutions that are already in place to help, you know, mental health, you know, uh, access, whatever the case may be? That's a great question. And that's the hundred thousand. And that's the hundred thousand dollar question, actually, because I wish there was a magic solution to such a intricate and uh, complicated problem is that, um, there is programs available. We have, we try to implement the best that we can. There's programs like critical incident stress debriefing. There's um, critical incident stress management. There's peer supports. One thing that we have found um, that first responders um, don't utilize are things like EAPs. Um, And I'll tell you why. Employee assistance programs, for those of you that that don't Mm -hmm. know. Um, and I'll tell you why is because one is a trust factor. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and don't get me wrong. The people at EAPs do beautiful work and they do a lot of great things for a lot of great people for first responders. It's a trust factor. 
because if they report to uh, an EAP, they feel like, just like Dr. Cheryl said, their job's gonna be in jeopardy. Um, and another thing is, is the relatability, the identifiability. Yes. It's like, as first responders, you know, we, we see the things that we see. And the problem is, is that um, unless you're trained specifically like in trauma intervention or things of that nature, um, sometimes the relatability isn't there with the people that you talk to. Mm -hmm. And that's why I'll give you, I'll give you a perfect example. I had to vet probably five or six people uh, for, um, to, for me to go talk to personally, a therapist. Um, mm -hmm. I had to vet five or six people before I got one that really understood um, what first responders and, and, you know, people go through. Um, that's, that's in my business. So that's a great question. I think peer support has worked out, but I think where we, where we start the prevention is planting that seed um, to let people know, Hey, if it's, if it's your coworker or if it's somebody that you can trust that will understand um, you need to talk to somebody um, mm -hmm. to get this off your, because by active listening um, I'm not, uh, a mental health professional, but by active listening, in a sense, what just the listening part of it does validates those feelings that that person has, especially mm -hmm. without judgment and, you know, um, empathy too, um, because we need to get it off our chest. We need a sounding board and we need to know that we're not crazy because one thing they teach you in critical incident stress management is that, you know, you're a normal human being with normal human emotions that has been exposed to a very abnormal event. And we have those events every single day. And um, it's when you start piling these events on and on and you think that you have some sort of defect for feeling the way that you're feeling, then that just adds to it. And so that's why we need to process it. We need to have somebody there to listen. Um, however that avenue may be. And then if things um, progress to something more dire, such as post-traumatic stress disorder, then um, when medications and, and everything else um, are, are needed, then of course they have to see a mental health professional and a psychiatrist. And I, I think that it's important to note how extremely important it is that that happens in order for the person to go on. And especially when you're talking about first responders, as you said, these things are happening on a daily basis. And mm -hmm. so you compound that. I mean, you're, you're in a career that has lasted decades and you've seen things over and over and over again. And your mind hits the replay button over and over and over again. And we saw what that looks like when it's not properly attended to with our Vietnam war vets. We yes. see them all the time out on the street, traumatized, psychologically messed up in so many ways because they weren't attended to. They weren't shown that love. They weren't shown that respect. They weren't shown the compassion of saying, we know you went through tremendously trying experience and we're here for you we support you i'm so, i'm 
it must be that Piscean connection that that you and I have, Cheryl. Um, that um, because I was going to bring up the veterans, um, Dr. Jeffrey T. Mitchell, um, who's instrumental in um, uh, the ICISF, uh, um, International Critical Incident Stress Foundation. Um, in one of his books, he there was a study that was done either in the early '70s, mid '70s about Vietnam veterans and there was a group of veterans that they would make it a point to meet every Tuesday or they would meet once a week and just stay connected. And mm -hmm. those veterans um, thrived so much more better um, than uh, veterans who went individually to counseling or to this and to that. And I'm, once again, I'm not, I'm not downplaying the importance of counseling, but it's, I'm, I'm upplaying the importance of being with your, um, tribe, so to speak, to be mm -hmm. able to, um, uh, talk about the things that you went through together, you yes. know, in that, in that team-based approach, approach, and even meeting once a week made a huge difference in their lives. Yes. Yes. And that what you just said actually made me uh, think about something in that unless a person is in your job going through what you're going through and seeing what you're seeing every day, they can't completely relate to it. Right. And so for those of us for anybody out there listening, if you're in the counseling field, you know what you know, which is a lot, but the feelings that this person that's been through the situation has are valid and we need to accept those feelings and, and validate them. And we need to let that person know, I'm here for you. I understand the process of what you're going through. But, you know, I mean, one of the things people say is, you don't know what I'm going through. You've never been there. You don't know what this feels like. I think as providers who are providing help, we need to acknowledge that and say, yes, I do not know exactly what you're going through. Mm -hmm. That's very valid, but I'm here to learn and I respect what you're going through. And there is a process that we can take you through that will help you deal with the issues. Uh, you know, I can never walk in your shoes and I accept that, but I'm here for you and I have tools that I can offer you that can be of some use. That acknowledgement is very, very important. Yeah. And that's very beautifully put. I mean, um, when can I make an appointment with you? Because um, that's that, that's that's perfectly said. It, it's perfectly said because um, just the acknowledgement that I don't know what you're going through, but I'm here to listen. One is is the huge thing is the empathy. Right. Is the empathy. It's like um, uh, Brene Brown, the, the, the video that you see. What's the difference between sympathy and empathy? Hey, I'm sorry that you're going through that but empathy is actually getting down in the hole with somebody and being with them. Right. Yes. And I think that's, I, I think that's so important. And another thing that I'd like to bring up too, um, to, uh, as a follow-up on hurricanes question is that what can we do? 
I think it starts at the top with administration, um, with our bosses, um, with uh, the company or departments that you work for. People need to know that um, they have your support. I'll give you an example because police officers have a have a very challenging, um, even an extra added level of, of, of concern when they want to report to say an employee assistance, assistance program or uh, to go talk to a therapist because their fear is they're gonna lose their badge and their gun. And that's um, a very valid fear. That's a very, you know, because that's their livelihood, right? Mm. Um, but I think things start at the top. When I went through, um, when I went through my personal issues and on January 9th, um, I started making calls to go to a treatment center in California. And um, to tell you the level of, of the way I, it's not like this everywhere, but the way it should be. I had one of our deputy chiefs said, if you need help, I'll drive you to California. I'll take you to treatment myself. And <clears throat> that type of, um, and I'm forever in his debt. I'll never forget that. And that's what the people, you know, that's what people need is to feel that they have the support of their superiors too. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I have to say, in, in terms of acknowledging, I have to acknowledge how I appreciate how you're able to pull the, the names of the people that you're following in the videos and such, um, because that is not me. As you saw how I butchered poor Stitch's name, there was uh, no disrespect in, intended. Right. But uh, I mean, I was working through trying to get there. And I will remember faces and situations but I do not remember names, and I, I'm, I'm impressed with your ability to pull those that way. Well, thank well, you. I, thank you. Yeah, and I just wanted to add something. I mean, Mike, you, you're going doing this work now. I mean, you took it up on your show. This is not your job. I mean, you, you, you are literally in active duty right now in, in the actual call center and they're waiting yeah, for it. in the firehouse right now. <laughs> I, I know. You, you're ready for action any minute. I mean, we got lucky so far, but 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 the fact is you do this as you've been through yourself, your journey, and you've recovered well, and now you're in it, but you are helping. And, you know, that's something that's also admire, admirable because you don't see a lot of that, you know, and, and, and this is, I'm assuming this is volunteer time. It's not like you're getting paid for this. And you're going around, you're doing, you're taking time this Saturday right now on the show with us. And, and, and that is also something that is important. I mean, because not only you have the resources and you actually quote those, those, those folks and you have uh, the ability to share with the audiences and, and your colleagues in, 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 in what, in the workplace, but, but you're doing this and uh, it, it's, it's, it's gotta be, there's a gratification level to this because you're helping others. Let's, let's talk about that a little further. Let's flesh that out a little further. Um, okay. This is an amazing thing you're doing, Mike. How much does it help you in terms of your own personal journey? I think it, there are times where I don't know who, who benefits from it more, the people, people I lecture to or myself, because um, it's all about gratitude, right? That's one thing that's one thing that I talk about in my self-care portion is, you know, when you're when you're having a really down day or you just you're you're in the weeds on, on something, you know, write a quick little gratitude list because all it takes is a little bit of um, 
uh, a change in perception to change your whole outlook on the day. You know, and um, I also give uh, another thing that uh, helps you out when you're in the when you're, you know, all up in the fields and you're not, you know, you're not doing well. Um, be of service to others. You know, I mean, because that's what it's all about. You know, Mrs. Jones, you know, loses her husband and um, she lost her husband six months ago. It's spring and summertime. You notice that Mrs. Jones lawn needs mowed, you know, go do that for her, you know, because I don't know who feels better, Mrs. Jones, for not even asking to do it, or you by doing something for somebody without even being asked. And one of the things that I get out of doing this, as far as lecturing to um, you know these different agencies, is that um, especially with the young kids that are coming up now. Um, I don't mean any disrespect by calling them kids, but the younger generation that's coming up now is that. You don't have to. We're trying to change the culture. We're trying to crush the stigma of what used to be. And you don't have to go through the pain and despair that so many of us had. So it's all about giving back because that's what we do as a division chief, as an instructor, as someone who's been doing this for a while. That's my contribution back to, you know, help these people that are just coming up. Because if there's anything that we can do, and you do a lot of talks too, Dr. Cheryl, if there's anything that we can do to give them another tool in their toolbox or to make their light shine brighter, that's what we do because that's that's the nature of what we do. Right. And I mean, I think it's really important to do that and to, to be generous with it because when people are under stress or they're going through a situation, they may not ask you for help. They may not even see the areas where they need help because they're busy trying to deal with what's in front of them. And I, an example that I, I think of, um, and you know, this is a little PTSD <laughs> coming up. Um, I, I lost a child I, for 10 years. He was very, very ill. And I remember there was a time when he had frequent hospitalizations and we were going in for a hospitalization. And that was the day I learned to hate neighborhood associations mm -hmm. because we lived in a very, very nice neighborhood. And I had gone out and I had bought all of these plants to, to put in to beautify our yard. Well, baby gets sick. My child's far more important than those flowers. So we ended up in the hospital, literally in the hospital, because when he went in, I had to go in with him for two weeks. And it was in the middle of the summer, the sun was blazing and everything. And when I came back, not only were all of my potted plants dead, but my lawn was incredibly overgrown. And I had a letter from the neighborhood association <laughs> the president of whom lived next to me and knew exactly what I was going through and mm. knew that I was in the hospital with my child. And this letter was chastising me for having allowed my lawn to overgrow. Now, at the time, I was a single parent with sick child, and there were intact households on all sides of me with husbands and sons and such that could have mowed the lawns and even wives could have mowed that lawn. I mowed my own lawn, but nobody did. Instead, they slapped my hand for not mowing it. Do you know how far the compassion of one person having mowed that lawn for me mm. would have 
on in terms of soothing the pain that I was in at that time. And the fact that I got that neighborhood association letter, had it been at the wrong moment, it could have been the difference between life or death, mine. Right. We never know what that other person is going through. You said that earlier. What you do, the smile you do or don't give, could be the difference between whether someone lives or dies. Yeah. And that's, you know, and you bring up a whole nother aspect to this too. Um, I recently went to a a resilience conference uh, from Resilient Minds on the Front Lines. And one of the big things that they teach us there is random acts of kindness, our racks, our racks, so to speak, right? And you don't know the uh, perception or the, the, someone may be having a really cruddy day. You like, for example, my daughters like to go to Dutch Brothers. They're 12 and 10. They're, they're aged beyond their years, right? So <laughs> that's their adult thing to do. They feel adult when they go to Dutch Brothers. You know, I occasionally buy the car behind me, um, you know, a drink, you know? Um, and it's because you never know the kind of day that they're having because I've had random acts of kindness um, put towards me. And I can tell you it came at the right time, at the right moment, because I just wasn't feeling it that day. And to mm-hmm. know that somebody just cared enough to just do something for a total stranger um, was immensely important to me. And that's why I try to make it a point. It doesn't always happen. I try to make it a point to always say thank you and you're welcome, you know, to the people who serve us, like at the grocery stores, yes. um, to, you know, hold the door open for somebody. You know, because not only does it make that person feel better, um, we get to reap the benefits as well. Yeah, yeah. And no job is too small to be appreciated. Right, exactly. We, we need everyone. We need to respect everyone. We need to love everyone and, and to be grateful for everyone. And, 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 and again, unfortunately, the world is not, you know, made that way. We have people that don't care and they just go about their lives. But to your point... They don't realize, oh, what the hell happened here? Well, where were you? I mean, you didn't realize that they were going through the bad timing, right? And right. by the way, life sucks because karma happens, right? <laughs> you never right. know when you're going to need something. You dish out good, you get good. You dish out bad, you're going to get some bad eventually. No, right. that's that's the, that low is not going to be, you know, deviating. It's always going to be there. So just be prepared. And, and again, I mean, listen, you I know we're coming out to the end of the show here, but but you you really are doing a terrific job, Mike. I mean, uh, and 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 also just going through this, like even the show, I mean, you've given us some real uh, eye opener business here because for the folks that are listening and watching right now worldwide, literally, they may not even have something like what you do. I mean, right. I know there are parts of the world where this doesn't even exist, and 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 some parts of the nation probably where it doesn't exist. So so it's 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 amazing that you know you're you're taking this, and hopefully other people can take the torch and work along you, and or you know just continue the work that you do or work at, at the same time. But there's got to be more to be done to help people, uh, and these are the people we need. I mean, we can't live without you guys. I mean, let's let's be clear. Not everybody can, I think, I think we all need each other for one way to reason. You need doctors, you need everybody, right? And, and if you're not there, I mean, imagine if all of you that are doing out there today, watching, listening right now, that are in the the front end of of this and you are first responders and dealing with this stuff and you give up, you can't do it. What happens? (laughs) 
we're done. Right. We're doomed. I mean, who's going to save your loved ones when you need them? You know, like, uh, you know, you need somebody. You need an ambulance. You need this. Nobody's there. You call a dispatch. There's no dispatch. That's, that's a problem. We don't want that. We want people to be ready and, and helpful. And we need to do our part to support that as well. So, so again, you got our backs. And, you know, all of us watching and listening, if you, if you have someone that you know that's doing the job, at least say thank you and maybe just say, how you doing? Maybe that's easy. I mean, sometimes right. just, just right. a simple question. How are you doing today? How's right. your day? And, uh, and, and mean it. And mean it, though. Well, don't of course, say yeah. it in the bathroom like, you don't really matter. I'm just giving you lip service. Actually, look at that person, see them, and mean it. And when they respond, acknowledge that they've responded to you, you know, yeah. whatever that response may be. Acknowledge it. I tell you what, the three seconds it takes to ask somebody how they're doing and mean it can change the whole outlook on somebody's day, especially for us, because it it goes deeper. I'm 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 not into the mental health profession or anything else, and I don't know what psychological, you know, dopaminic releases it, it, it elicits or anything like that. But just having somebody asking the question, "Hey, how are you doing today?" and mean it gives me a sense that they actually care when I'm, you know, about, about Mike, you know, and about, about, you know, how my day is going. Um, and one thing that I, I, I want to touch, touch on too, before we leave is that kindness and empathy is applicable across all our lives, just not first responders and, yep. and, um, you know, amongst everybody. Um, so just if we can take that with us today, um, and I have one last thing that I want to say, but I'll let you guys wrap it up. Well, let's, let's, let's hear that one last thing that you want to say, because it's certainly going to be important to somebody. I just, I just want to say to, um, any of the first responders that are out there, regardless of the job that you do in the emergency response, um, uh, realm, If you're suffering, if you're in a dark place, please reach out, please get some help, talk to a friend, and just know, please know that you're not the only one out there that's suffering because there's a lot of us out there that are. And there are other resources out there that you can call. And um, I know that we don't have time for it today, but maybe on a on another show we can talk about 988, and we can talk about you know crisis hotlines and everything else. So um, you know, my heart goes out to those people that you know are um, not doing so well right now. So please, um, you know, there is somebody out there to listen to you. Absolutely, and and you saw that big smile that came across my face. That it was that Piscean connection again, because I was just getting ready to talk about uh, the 988. For those of you who do not know, 988 now connects into the suicide prevention. It is the suicide prevention hotline, and it is up and it is active. And you keep hearing Mike and I talk about this Piscean connection, but we really have a hardcore Piscean connection because Mike and I share a birthday. So we, we're here. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Mike, thank you for being here. This was absolutely awesome. And you, you know, you addressed a lot of things and certainly we will be bringing you back because, you know, as I said earlier, this is a big onion to unpeel so many different layers and each one of them can be a separate topic. And we would like to address uh, a lot of them. You have 
you know, given some real nuggets out there, not only have you identified that it's an issue, but you've also given some, some nice tips on, on how people can cope and how people can support. And we tremendously appreciate that. We appreciate what you're doing as a first responder, and we definitely appreciate what you're doing with this new walk that you're, you're taking and with your work with the, the 988 and all that you're doing to make it better for everybody out there who's supporting others and who are, are suffering along the way. So, well, well, thank you so much. And I, I can't, I can't thank um, both of you enough for having me on your show. Um, it is, a, it is a message that needs to get out there and we need to start having that conversation um, to take, uh, to help take that stigma out of there. And um, I appreciate the opportunity to be here and um, uh, hopefully we'll be back soon. Mike, you're, you. you're making a difference. That's absolutely, it. absolutely. We appreciate you, man. We really do. That, well, my folks, is Mike Wharton. Uh, you have been listening to Chatters That Matters. Let's talk about it. We're here to educate, inform, and entertain you. All of Mike's information will be listed on the YouTube site, the EMBC. Uh, television network site, uh, my IG and such. There will be a lot of places where you can connect with Mike if you're interested in having him as a speaker, uh, if you're interested in do, doing a workshop with, a workshop with Mike. There are lots of, of things that he can uh, assist you with. And if you don't catch it, on uh, the EMBC TV, you, you know, excuse me, you know how to reach myself and Hurricane. You know, we're, we're there and we'll connect you with Mike. We definitely are behind what he's doing and the importance of it. The 988 number will be listed on the site. That is the suicide prevention hotline, and we want to make sure that you have it. And I, I think Hurricane, I don't know how you feel about it, but I'm, I'm pretty sure you'll be on the same sheet of music. I think that on the site uh, with each one of these shows, we're gonna list that number so that people have it because it's just that important. If that number saves one life, then we've done something. Actually, we had it on, on a previous show, but yeah, we'll, we'll, we can add it to all the shows. And, and certainly Mike, whatever information you have that you want us to broadcast as well, if you have videos, whatever, that are preventative, we can certainly use them. Or your other shows, I can certainly push them out. Because, uh, again, the more, the better, you know, uh, the message. But I think today's message is definitely going to be heard. It's going to be awesome. worldwide. And a lot of people will be, you know, uh, reaching it. And, and, well, it will be reaching people. So thank you so much. That's awesome. Thank you guys so much, too. And thank you for listening to our show, watching our show. Uh, if you enjoyed our show, please go ahead and like definitely share and we'd love to have your your comments because we always want to make it better and we want to bring you the things that you want to know about so this is chatters that matters let's talk about it and we hope to see you again next week thank you for joining us and have a wonderful week bye everyone bye.